Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a break. I warned you this would happen. Uh, We're going to take a break from our series. We're on a series on foundations. And uh, I knew that I could not resist Christmas. It got a hold of me and I slipped right into it. And... uh, but I've been, I've been marinating in, in some of the Christmas passages, and I just love the Christmas story. Uh, it, so, it so lends itself to the ways of God. You know, Jesus, when Jesus came to planet Earth, he didn't come in a vacuum. We've been talking lately about how God is not arbitrary, that we can actually know his ways, that there are things that we can do to meet his requirements. That if we know his ways, we can intercept him in the way. That there's ways that we can cooperate with God. And that's a wonderful thing. That in a sense, we'll never know God because he's infinite. And we'll spend the rest of eternity getting revelation after revelation. And every time he lifts the veil on some facet of his his character will fall down in worship for a hundred years. And then he'll show us another part. And it's gonna be, that's going to be that way for eternity. But even though we'll never know him fully because he's infinite, we're finite, the fact is God has invited us into his self-revelation through his book, the Bible, through his working in our life that he reveals himself. And so in that way, we can know his ways. There are templates by which God operates. There are patterns of his behavior, and when we understand his ways, and that's why the men of old, like David in Psalm 25, cried out, oh God, show me your ways. He was talking about this this element of God's nature when God self-reveals himself, that God can actually become predictable in the sense that he reveals, this is how I operate, and if you will meet these conditions, you can enter into my work. It's an amazing thing. And this Christmas story is chock full of these principles. It really is a beautiful template by how, uh, that God uh, reveals how God operates with men and how he enters into human history. And so every revival, every fresh invasion of God's spirit into human history has met the requirements of the Christmas story. And the Christmas story contains principles. It's a template that if we become familiar with it, that we can enter into that thing. Charles Finney, the great revivalist, he, he was the primary leader of what became known as the Second Great Awakening in the mid-1800s. Literally rocked the United States of America as a young nation. And he came out with this, what was a revolutionary book at the time. It was called Lectures in Revival by Charles Finney. And one of the things that he, he set forth in this book that was so revolutionary was he made this statement, revival is not a miracle. It's an actuality, man meeting the requirements for God to move. And he compared it to the laws of the harvest, that if we will meet the laws of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest will give us one. And really what he was talking about is exactly what I'm trying to communicate this morning, that there are ways in which God moves. Now, if that's true, and I'm telling you it is, take my word for it, David wouldn't ask God to show him his ways. The Spirit of God wouldn't have inspired him to pray, God, show me your ways, if there weren't any to know and they were unknowable. Okay? So this is a real deal. If there are ways 
then if we cry out to God, God will reveal those ways to us. And we can actually meet the conditions for God to begin to intervene in our life in greater measures. If revival is not a miracle, but in his actuality, it is man meeting the conditions for God to fill the void. See, God doesn't arrive in a vacuum. There, there are conditions, there are requirements that has to happen on planet Earth. And the Christmas story is a beautiful lesson in looking at those principles. It, it, it really provides a template for us. And so with that idea, that concept, I want to look at Luke chapter 1. Let's look at verse 26 through verse 37. This, I, I was telling Pastor Laura, she stepped in this morning and and I said, man, I could teach for five hours on this passage this morning. There is so much in this passage. I can see some of you are already getting worried. We know this is the last service. He, he might go long. I wish we had just, just take a day and we could just do teaching on this story because it's, it's so full of wonderful revelation. Matter of fact, we better pray. Father, Lord, we do. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing. And Lord... As we were singing this morning, we declare it again. You are worthy. You are holy. You are the only one who is whole. And we worship you. Now, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would stir our heart, that you would encourage us, correct us, convict us, and move us on in the process. Lord, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we could cooperate with you as you operate. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 26, listen to this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man, betrothed to a man named, whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. In those two verses, it shows that the angel was sent from God to a specific place in a specific time, to a specific person, to a specific family line. God is very specific in what he's doing. Even if it feels random to us, God is very specific to what he's doing. And so he comes to a region, to a city, to a household, to a girl, to a family line, because he's got a purpose that he's had planned for generations. Verse 29, or verse 28. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That, that's a, an amazing statement. You have found favor. You know, there is favor to be found with God. And when you have favor with God, you attract heaven. God is not arbitrary. God is not random. He doesn't say, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a saint by the toe. This is the one I'm going to, you know. I'm going I'm to bless them and not them. God is not arbitrary. There was a reason she found favor. There are some who carry more favor than others, and it's because they posture their heart in such a way. People say, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. You, you know the word says God's not a respecter of persons, and that's true. 
The context is he doesn't, he doesn't respect one person over another, one, one uh, and a demographic or, or uh, you know, one, one class above another. But I'm going to tell you this. It's very clear in Scripture. God is a respecter of heart attitude. He's not a respecter of persons, but he most certainly is a respecter of heart attitude. And he responds to a certain heart posture. Matter of fact, there's a, an interesting passage in Isaiah where it says, this, God speaking, this is the one whom I esteem. He who is lowly in heart. That is an amazing statement that God, the glory of heaven, looks across the earth and there's a certain type of human being that he says, I esteem, I think very highly of that type of individual. He's giving us little hints on how we can attract, how can we find favor. And he greets this woman and he says, it says, she was greatly troubled. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive. He's saying, hey, and the result of this favor is this. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now this blows my mind. Listen to Mary. Now you gotta understand, Mary was mid-teens. That was the common betrothal age in the, you know, within the Israelite, uh, you know, it, all nations at that time. Mid-teens. She has an angelic visitation, this huge announcement, you are going to bear the one who is destined for the eternal throne. And this is what she says. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That always intrigues me. I would have been stumbling over the magnitude of the promise, and she's trying to figure out how the promise is going to arrive. But I think what she was doing is she was avoiding the pitfall that her great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham had done and assuming she knew how the promise would be fulfilled. Because you remember, God gave Abraham a promise and he tried to fulfill it in the natural and we've got a mess on our hands to this day. And so there's something about her. There was this perception in this young teenage girl that when she was told, you're going to have a child, and, and she's already betrothed, she's engaged, in my mind, I would, have, I would have received that word as, oh, me and Joe are going to have a baby. Man, we better get this thing going. We better get married real quick so we can have that baby. And Joe, Joseph, was in the line of David but she didn't assume that. She, something about her perceived there was a miraculous element to this thing. And so she, she didn't assume, I know how this is going to be fulfilled. She was leaning in saying, how is this going to happen? Now it's interesting, earlier in this passage, we didn't read this part, we didn't have time to, but she was, God shows up to Zachariah and tells him, you, got, you and your wife are going to have a baby. And he said, how, how, can, how, how can this be? How can I know this is going to happen? The angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and you ain't going to talk for nine months because of your unbelief, essentially. And so Zachariah comes out. He's having to write things down. He's 
you know, he's, he's, the fear of the Lord is on him, and everybody knows he had an encounter. But Mary says, how, can, how is this going to work? And he says, and this is always the answer, by the way, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. She didn't assume it would be by natural means. Now, I don't know why Zachariah got rebuked and Mary got rewarded. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe, I'm not saying, I wouldn't put my life on this, but maybe because Zachariah was older and should have known better. I don't know. And Mary, she's just, she's a young teenager. She's just saying, hey, I, I don't understand how this works. You know, I'm in, but just how's this going to happen? I don't know. But the answer that he gave her, and, and I'm going to just tell you, there was wisdom in her response. When God begins to give you a promise, there, it's one thing to get divine revelation. It's another thing to get divine interpretation. I've heard some divine revelation with some very undivine interpretation attached to it. I've been there. Some of that's came through me. I assumed I knew what God was going to do and how he was going to do it. So when God gives us a revelation, we also need divine interpretation and divine application. We need to be checking in with the Lord the whole way down the line and say, okay, God, this is what you're wanting to accomplish. Lord, this is what's in your heart. Now, Lord, we want to know how, how do you want to accomplish this thing. I don't want an Ishmael on my hands. I don't want, I don't want to try to do this thing in my own, my own ability. So she asks, how, can, how will this be? And the, the big barrier to her is that I, I've not known a man. She's engaged. I would have thought she's thinking I'm about to, you know, but no, that's not what she assumed. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, and behold, so, so what he's saying is that the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. That is always God's answer. So whenever we get a fresh word from the Lord, the next thing we need to discern is, Lord, Lord, I want to position myself. Your Spirit needs to come upon me. If God has given you a dream that you can accomplish on your own, there's one of two things going on. Either you have not understood the magnitude of the dream, or it isn't from God. Because God will always call you to things beyond your ability to fulfill on your own. God always stretches us beyond our own. And so she says, how is this going to be? Now, there's a, there's a lot of things we could get out of this passage. There's, there's all kinds of tracks and perspectives that we could look at this wonderful story. And, you know, we'll, we'll do that in some other times. I do have a couple more weeks yet. But the one I want to look at this morning is the, the multi-generational element to this story. A number of years ago, it was probably five, six, maybe even seven years ago now, uh, we got together as a staff and we did a deep dive, uh, a strategic planning time. It took us uh, over several months. We took long days, several days together. We went through uh, distilling the prophetic words over Heartland, our history, what were the, uh, the, 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 the events, the, the, the truths, the messages that shaped us, what were the things that really made Heartland, uh, makes Heartland what it is, because what we were trying to do is distill down, God, what is, what is Heartland? What, what, do you, what have you called us to be? What have you called us to do? We want to be who you called us to be. We don't want to just assume that we know. Fact is, there's a lot of great churches in the region. And if we can't make a distinction between what Heartland's called to and what they're called to, then we can't justify the overhead. We need to sell all this and go join some other church and get behind them. 
Or we need to discern the, the unique calling that God had. And out of that came, if you go on the website, there's a mission statement there. And that, that came through some just really trying to strain this thing out and asking the Lord and, and discussing these matters. And this is what we came up with. Heartland is a multi-generational family inviting many people as possible into a fresh encounter with God. So essentially what we were communicating is so that they can meet him and also understand themselves so they too can be launched into a life uh, it, it, their purpose in life, to be passionately pursuing what God created them to be. That's what we're called to. So we're called to be a multi-generational family that's creating an environment where people come in and they meet Jesus, that they sense him, that, that the God who they didn't believe in five minutes ago, all of a sudden they encountered him and their life has changed. That's what we're contending for. That's who we are as a people. But it wasn't just a... a uh, it wasn't something we brushed over that first element. We are a multi-generational family. There is something about how God operates through generations. And in this story is a beautiful example of it. You've got an elderly generation in Zechariah and Elizabeth who were beyond their childbearing years. The fact is, Elizabeth had already gone through menopause. She, she'd already had the, you know, she'd get hot at night. No, Zechariah, open the, open the tent. She'd have hot flashes and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, they, they had prayed for years for breakthrough. And now it was over. They, 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 were, they were beyond their childbearing years. And then you have Mary, who has, hasn't even entered into that season of her life. She's never known a man. She's a young virgin. She's kept herself pure. You've got this elderly couple who have known intimacy and love in marriage and have come together as man and wife many times but were never able to produce. That idea in Jewish culture, Scripture says that the firstborn is the first sign of the father's strength. It, it meant that the father had power to produce a, an offspring, and then the wife was always, you know, you, you see it throughout Scripture. The, the wife would say, give me children or I die, because it was such a, there was this stigma in Jewish culture. And in Scripture, the words are, and the Lord closed her womb, and the Lord closed her womb. And in their culture, there was all this, this uh, identity issues, and, and uh, you know, their, their walk with God was connected to all of this, and they were wanting children, and they were desiring children, and the years that they could have produced it on their own were gone, and they most likely had given up, and the reason I'm leaving the door open to the, the fact that they may not have is because when Zechariah enters the temple to offer incense, all of a sudden Gabriel shows up, and he tells Zechariah, you're about to have a baby. Your prayers have been heard. Now, there's, there's two possibilities. It could have been that they were still praying, you know, praying that even though we're beyond those years, we're still believing. Most likely what it was is that it was prayers they had prayed long ago and had never been answered, seemingly. And now the angel shows up in the years later where they had given up hope to ever seeing the answer to their prayers. And the angel says, hey, I want to tell you something. You know those prayers you prayed 30 years ago? They never hit the ground. God's been holding those 
breathing on him, keeping the fan in that because he is, he's withholding something in the present to give you, not only you, but the next generation a greater breakthrough by withholding something. There are times where barrenness is actually designed by God to give a greater breakthrough. There are times where people are given a promise, and this one will mess with us as faith people. In Hebrews chapter 11, there were people who were given a promise, and it, was, it says it was a legitimate promise. They were, received a promise, and they had faith, and they died in faith in the promise and never received. Now, now pause here, because it says it's real a real promise. It wasn't presumption. It wasn't they got a, a, a prophetic word that was inaccurate. It was really from the Lord. And it wasn't that they just didn't engage with it. They, according to the word of God, they exercised true faith in receiving that promise, yet died without the fulfillment. And then it adds this. So that there could be greater breakthrough when their faith is added with ours. In other words, there are times when we labor in prayer with faith filling our heart and we believe God is gonna do it. And it's really a promise from him and it's really faith on our part and we die not seeing it because the real fulfillment comes after we're gone. And if we don't understand that we can get offended and disillusioned and start thinking, oh God, I must not have had enough faith, or God, you, you made a promise you didn't fulfill, and it's because we don't understand his ways. There are times God will withhold something in the present simply so he can give a greater breakthrough later on in our life or even after our life in the next generation. Years ago, I, was, I, I slept in one morning. It was my day off, and so I slept in. I grabbed my phone. I was just reading the word, and I was reading the passage about John. And when Mary came in to see Elizabeth, and John's, you know, John and, and Jesus were leaping in the womb when the mom started talking, and, uh, and it says that John was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And I, I said to the Lord out loud, I said, Man, God, why don't you just do that all the time? That would be really convenient. Have a whole generation of spirit-filled infants, and we could wrap this thing up called human history in a little bit, you know? I'm thinking, Lord, why? Because there was such a unique thing on John. Why was it that he was filled from the womb? I wasn't expecting an answer. I was just talking out loud. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and he said, that the uniqueness of John was because of the years of prayers that had gone before him. That mama and that papa were conceiving something in prayer long before they conceived something in their bedroom. And so the barriers that John started well down the road of development he didn't start where other children did because his mom and dad had fought some battles and removed some barriers in intercession so that John could start ahead of the rest. And I don't think that that principle is isolated just to John or to child training. So the Lord speaks this to me and I wrote it down. I thought, that is interesting. I've never thought of that. And I was convinced it was the Lord. Got in my car, drove out to uh, middle of Nebraska, I was preaching at a ministry school that, after, that night, and uh, after I got done teaching, I was laying hands on all the students and praying for them and prophesying, and there was this one young man, he came up, and I, I laid my hands on him, as soon as I did, I thought of that principle that morning, and I said, 
You know, there are times where God will withhold breakthrough and even child conception in a family because he wants to do something later on. And, and it's that, those children, there's something about, you know, it's, Isaiah said, many are the children of the barren womb, but so are powerful the children because there's prayer that's behind that. And, and I just felt led to share that with him and his jaw dropped, his eyes got real big. He said, I can't believe you said that. He said, my mom and dad tried and tried to have kids for many, 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 many years. He said, I was the child of their old age. They just couldn't conceive. And then when they were elderly, all of a sudden they had me. They were shocked. And I told them, I said, hey, the hand of God's on your life. And you need to recognize that you started where, down the road from others. Because, not because of something you did, but because of your mom and dad. But I believe that not only was that for him, God was trying to encourage me. And I believe that there are times where God will have us pray and we think the prayers aren't being answered when in reality, it's like God, rather than cashing in the answer, God's rolling it over and reinvesting it and reinvesting it. And we die thinking, oh, God never answered it, never realizing that that thing has been reinvested and reinvested and reinvested and the next generation has a breakthrough. And I would propose to you that's what's going on in this passage. Listen to what it says here. It opens with this, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. It, the angel was told, you gotta wait, you gotta wait. Okay, it's time. The sixth month of what? It wasn't the sixth month of the year. We know that because of what comes before it and what comes later on in the passage. It says it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. She's just leaving her, entering her third trimester, and the Lord tells the angel, okay, Gabriel, now go and talk to that Mary girl. Because Elizabeth had to be farther down the road in her pregnancy than Mary was if Elizabeth was gonna fulfill the purpose of her pregnancy. You see, Elizabeth was carrying John, who would be the fulfillment of the verse, there is one calling in the wilderness, make ye a way for the Lord. He was the forerunner. He was gonna pave the way for the Messiah to come. And in a very real sense, Elizabeth's pregnancy was paving the way for Mary's pregnancy. Because the first thing that Mary does when she gets this heavy word, and she's not married, it's a different deal for Mary. Elizabeth is a lo- older and along in years. No one's, gonna, no one's gonna accuse her of immorality. They're gonna just be shocked. Wow, you guys are having a kid at that age. <laughs> Mary, she's not, she's not married yet. She's She's a young virgin, but it's not going to appear so. So what does Mary do when she hears the word of the Lord? She immediately goes to Elizabeth's house. And the, the language of this passage ties these things together. How many of you remember Schoolhouse Rock when you were growing up? Yeah, Remember that? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Okay, how many of you young people, you know what I'm talking about? You just think I'm weird? Okay, if you don't, Google it. Look up YouTube, Schoolhouse Rock, Conjunction Junction. And what it, it was, the only reason I know what a conjunction is, because I watch cartoons. I didn't learn this in school. I'm not saying they didn't teach it. I'm just telling you, I didn't learn it. Uh, But a conjunction is a connecting phrase or a connecting word. It connects two ideas. And there are three key conjunctions in this passage. 
The first one is in verse 27. Well, really, it's, it's in verse 29. Uh, look at verse 28. It says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But, that's a conjunction. It's connecting these two ideas. But, she was greatly troubled at the saying, and, he tried, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so this particular conjunction is used to contrast two ideas. Good news, good word, but weird response. It's like they're contrasts. It's like the good word wasn't responded to in a happy way. That's why it says but. It doesn't say and she was troubled. It says but she was troubled. Why? Because you don't expect it. Because what happened is the angel arrives and drops this word on this young girl who doesn't see herself as that kind of candidate. She doesn't see herself as one who's highly favored. And so even though it was an amazing word, I mean, he hasn't told her yet about all that's going to happen to her. He just says, you're highly favored, and she's troubled about it. So what's going on? It's because her internal perception of herself doesn't match God's external proclamation over her. And there's a problem. And so the word of the Lord came to kick that to the surface. And here's the deal. One of the primary purposes of revelation in our life is to work what the Greek calls metanoia or repentance. To change our mind. Because Mary had to first wrap her head around it before she could receive it in her womb. She had to conceive it in her mind before she could carry the child in her womb. I would propose to you that a lot of people abort the purposes of God, not because it's not a legit word from the Lord, it's because they can never get themselves wrapped around and see themselves as a candidate. They won't own that thing. They still, it's, they're at odds with the word of the Lord. And so the word of the Lord comes to correct us and to create that tension. It's a, the word that says it troubled her. It's a compound word. It means something that causes you to be frustrated, to be confused. Uh, to, it's like two things don't fit. That's what that word, it's like she's, she's at odds with this thing. And so there's a reason the angel came before the spirit came. The angel comes with a message to change her mind so the spirit can come and drop something in her womb. And if we don't listen to the message and renew our mind, we can miss what God's trying to do in our life. And so I'm telling you, we've got to renew our mind and what happens is God brings these things to us and we've got to bring ourselves into alignment with God's word. She had to begin to see herself as one who is highly favored. You can actually be favored by God and not realize it. This, this, is, this girl's an example. God was attracted to her and she didn't even know it. There was a heart posture in her life that God says, this is one I can use. But when it was declared over her, she's like, well, I just don't see myself that way. And that was the problem. And often the word of the Lord comes to trouble us. The word of the Lord will come to trouble you and push those internal disqualifications to the surface so that we can deal with them. And this is no small thing. This is very, very important when you get a word, and when, you, when you're reading the Bible, and you look at yourself as the exception to the rule, well, God may feel that way, but I, you know, I know myself. 
Listen, you need to go to war against that thing. When you say, but, but, yeah, kick it in the butt, okay? Get, deal with that thing if you make yourself the exception to the rule. Or if you begin to get this word that God's speaking over you and you keep disqualifying yourself, that will be a problem that will cost you the conception of the purposes of God in your life. And so the angel comes as the messenger. That's the first conjunction. It's a conjunction of contrast. God says one thing, but I feel another. Then I need to start dealing with how I feel. And until my feelings and my belief and my self-perception and my identity and what I believe is possible and what I believe is probable and what I believe God's going to do in my life, until those things line up, then that word has not done its full work yet. And we need to go after this. And, and, and the danger is, is we can know this principle and we minimize the importance of it. Well, yeah, you know. And, and we, we think what we're doing is being humble when in actuality we're being disobedient because we're not owning the word of the Lord. And that humility is actual, in actuality is unbelief. It's putting your assessment of yourself above God's assessment of you. And we need to humble ourselves and say, God, forgive me. Lord, if this is what you say about me, then Lord, begin to change how I look at myself. Because I, I wanna be the person that gets up in the morning and when I look in the mirror, I, that mug looking out at me, I declare the word of the Lord. Yep, there he is, the highly favored one. Or whatever God's saying. And until you can do that, until that's your first thought, then the word has not done its work yet. And so I'm telling you, the angel came, the messenger came to prepare her for the Spirit's coming. That so often God will, God will give us a word about what he's going to do in our life. And we think, oh, that's awesome. And then we forget the word and we're just waiting for it to happen. Never realizing that that word was to do a work in our life. So when that the Spirit comes, we are the person who can then steward that thing. We become the person that is so in agreement with the word of the Lord. It's a natural thing. We begin to stretch with it. The word shapes us and we give birth to something. And so it's very important. It's that first conjunction in this, this passage. Okay. What the, oh my goodness. Look at, look at verse 35. I'm, I'm going to land it with this. How, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, and behold, your relative Elizabeth. There's another conjunction, and behold, and. See, it's, it's connecting these two ideas. These are not two separate ideas. The Holy Spirit in speaking, the angel is not, you know, he doesn't have ADHD, squirrel. He starts you know, talking about something totally different. This is one stream of thought. He's tying them together, and he's grammatically correct. He's using a conjunction. That's the function. Don't get me started. I'll start singing again. Okay, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. What's going to be born of you is going to be the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Why does he bring that up? What does that have to do with what Mary's going through? Everything. There's, there's a number of things that are behind the, the, the angel wanting her to know that. Because number one, she needs to know, I'm part of a bigger narrative here. It's not just what's happening in my life. 
He's taking her little story and weaving it into a grander narrative and realizing, I'm part of a big move of God. God's moving on several fronts. Number two, she needs to realize she's not the only one carrying a miracle child. Matter of fact, she's going to need Elizabeth in her life. And I'm telling you, this is why we need to be involved in church. And I'm not talking about just showing up here five minutes late, because, well, Heartland worships long, so I can come late. And then we, you sit, you listen, and then you zip on out, and you, you punched your card. I went to church, I gave my offering, and then I, I, I listened to a message, and you leave. That's not doing church, okay? It's doing life together, interacting within each other's lives. Because I'm telling you, Mary didn't have everything she needed. She didn't get it from an angel, and she wasn't gonna get it from the Spirit. There were things the Spirit could give her that no one else could, but there were also things that Elizabeth could give her that no one else could. And it's very clear in Scripture, the body of Christ is the fullness of Christ. Ephesians chapter one, Second to the last verse, read it for yourself. He reiterates it. Paul reiterates this in Ephesians chapter four. Matter of fact, the NIV puts it this way. It says in Ephesians four, we have each been given a measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, you got a, you got a deposit, you got a deposit, you got a deposit, I got a deposit, but no one has the fullness. He says, and then when we all, then he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to grow us up and we all do our work so that we grow into maturity and unity into the fullness of the gift of Christ. We, we each have a measure. You want the fullness? You can only find it in other people. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. Say, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You're omniscient. You're everywhere present. He'd say, yeah, but not as much as I am when two or three gather in my name. There's a difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. And he commits to the group something he, will, he refuses to release to the individual because God intentionally wants to make you interdependent. There are things that I need I will never get from an angel. I'm never going to get from studying the word by myself. I know that, you said, Pastor, that sounds heretical. I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's gospel. Because God will withhold from the one what he's got to get from the body. Because the fullness of Christ, the fullness of who he really is, is only found when we gather together. And so Mary needed Elizabeth. And Elizabeth needed to understand her role. What I'm saying is this. It's already one minute after. What I'm saying is this. Youth and young adults, I believe God is doing something fresh in this house among the youth and young adults. God is stirring something. And what, what the, the one thing we learned from the Christmas story is that one generation, there, there's this poetic little phrase over Zachariah and Elizabeth, earlier in this passage, we didn't read it. It said they were, according to the law, they were blameless, comma, yet they were barren. Blameless yet barren. God hadn't withheld something from them because there was something wrong. He withheld something from them because he had something greater for the next generation. And what they were, what, what Elizabeth carried was gonna pave the way for what Mary was carrying. And what I'm saying is, 
those of you with gray hair and no hair, and even those who color your gray, gray hair and you know what, really, what color it really is, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of those. I'm a gray hair. My, yesterday, my daughter, Elisa, I was helping her with something. She looked up and she said, Dad, I can't believe how gray you are. Sometimes I'm shocked to just see how gray you've gotten. I said, well, thank you for that encouragement, honey. You know. God, there, there's something that the, the other generation carries for the next generation. And, I'm t- and you youth and young adults, those of you under 30, I'm going to give you a key that if you will apply this, it will take you a long way in your relationship with God. Find your Elizabeths. There are people who have already walked through what you have walked through that would love to give it away if you will ask. And in fact, you can learn from their mistakes and not have to make your own. And those of us who have made some really big mistakes would love to get some mileage out of that and help you avoid making the same mistakes. We've already paid the tuition on this lesson. Don't, you don't have to pay it, okay? We'll give it to you for free. Seriously, there's something about spiritual mothers and fathers, those who have gone before us, that if we will talk to them, there is something so rich about that. God graciously gave me a spiritual mother right when I got out of Teen Challenge. God graciously gave me a, a spiritual father in teach. I just ran into him the other day at Costco. I couldn't believe it. He said my name. I thought, this older gentleman, I don't know him. And then I looked at him and I realized, and I think, I'm sure he's thinking the same of me, this older gentleman is not the young man I... But these people who invested in my life, and I can look back and I know, I, I don't, there are times where I would have not made it in my walk with God had they not been there. But I was able to talk to them and they were able to walk me through some things. And there, there, there's, there's some people that I could share, I'd come in the room and I'd say, I'm pregnant with something. And they'd just look at me like, that's nice. Pat me on the head, you weirdo. But there were others that I would say, I'm pregnant, and all of a sudden I'd see their belly jump. They'd say, me too. And there's something about a spiritual mature, uh, fellowship in the maternity ward of the spirit. When you find other people carrying something, when you, you're pregnant and they're pregnant, you find those people and you play off of each other and you can be encouraged. And I'm telling you, those of you who are 40 and over, let, let's go down to 30 and over. <laughs> you have something to give those 30 and under. And those of you 30 and under, I'm giving you a key. If you will begin to pull on those people and ask them questions and, and confide in them and share your struggles, you will save yourself. You, you can be like John. You start way down the road from your peers because you don't have to face, because they already did the labor and in intercession. They're gonna give you those keys. But there's a multi-generational thing to a move of God. Some been crying out to God faithfully and haven't seen the breakthrough they are wanting. And it's precisely because God wants to give it to you with those who haven't even paid the price yet. They've never known intimacy. But God's gonna give them early because you get it late and you paid the price. Amen? Okay, I'm gonna ask you to stand up. And I'm gonna, I wanna do this real quick. I know we're late, but I'm gonna ask, if you are a believer and you are 30 and under, I'm gonna ask you to come stand right up in here. Just stand up right, right up next to the stage here. 30 and under, if you are 30 and under. Look at this, isn't that amazing? Hallelujah, it's amazing. Crunch in tight here, crunch in tight. Get right up here. Pretend your, your favorite 
singing artist is up here. You got to get in, get in tight because I want, we're going to get people behind you, okay? So just get in tight. Look at this. This is amazing. Wow. Okay. Now, those of you 30 and over, which should be the rest of you, let's gather around it. We want to pray for you this morning, okay? Uh, we, we just want to bless you, and I want to encourage you to receive right now, okay? Listen, God's doing something fresh in your generation, and you can enter into that thing. You can say, I'm, not, I'm, I'm laying hold. I want in. The rest of us, we need to fuel what God is doing among them. We want to bless what God is doing. And only together can we enter into what God has. I'm telling you, God is going to do some great things in the next few years. And you are so blessed to be the age you're at with what's coming. I, I leaned over to my wife this morning and I said, my legs are tired. Why? Because I just preached. I said, I don't have the stamina I had 10 years ago. You guys got stamina. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this generation. And Lord, I ask, God, that you would grace them with hunger. Lord, let them be the merry generation upon whom there is favor. Lord, let them find favor with you. Lord, we ask in the coming days that you'd begin to unpack this and you'd help us to understand how we posture our heart to carry what you want to put through us, Lord. We just bless them. We thank you. And Lord, we're asking that one of the hallmarks of this house in the spirit would be that this is a multi-generational family and that we all go in together in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I love you. Bless you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.